Oh, I love that song. That song, as long as I can remember, meant that we were getting ready to start Act One of the Fabulous Palm Springs Follies. Hey, welcome to the I Worked at the Fabulous Follies podcast. And what we're going to do here is we're going to talk to some of you, many of you, all of you that want to talk to us that actually worked at the Follies behind the scenes. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to maybe some of our stars and our Follies ladies and our Follies men and find out what's going on with them, find out where they're at, find out some stories from them about their times at the Follies as well. Well, who am I? Well, I'm Steve Weiss. I was a longtime head of audio of the Palm Springs Follies. I came to the show in December of 1994, which, if I'm not mistaken, was the fourth season of the Follies. And how did I get there? Well, we could go all the way back to my high school years if you wanted to, and I'll tell you that story if you want to, but let's do the condensed version of it. In the spring of 1994, I was working for the production company in St. Louis, Missouri, which is, you know, we're from, I'm from the Missouri. And um, so I was working for the production company that handles all the concerts in, in St. Louis at all the venues. And I did things like, I mean, I handled ticket sales over the phone to stage managing, to house managing, to doing audio work, to doing just general whatever needed to be done for shows at that time. And I was just happy to be around rock and roll and country and uh, all sorts of crazy stuff that we would see that would come through, you know, St. Louis on tour. I had gone to college in Southeast Missouri at Cape, in Cape Girardeau at Southeast Missouri State University at the time. And that I, I uh, graduated in 1985 and, and got down there a year or so later, got married dropped out, became a paint and wallpaper salesman, then an insurance salesman, got fired from those jobs, (laughs) and then got a divorce. And so then I went back to college. And some of my pals decided to go to Glacier National Park in the spring of 1994 to work there for the summer. They were putting on, uh, reintroducing a theater at Mini Glacier Hotel. And I can recall it was the day after the OJ chase. So it's June, and they called me and they said, "Hey man, you know you you gotta come up here. This is pretty cool." And it was three guys that were from my college were up there: Dan Aker, Dan Kemper, and Robert Hout. And I said, "You know what? That doesn't sound like a terrible idea." So I went to my boss, and I said, "You know the uh, the college kids are coming back for the summer, and they're gonna want their jobs. You know that they have in the summer." I said, "How do you think about me taking a sabbatical till September?" Well, I get to go pursue something that's kind of interesting. And she said, you know what? That's fine with me. It's a, it's a great idea. When you come back, your job will be waiting for you. We're not going to we'll hold your job for you. It's not a big deal. And I was ecstatic, as you can imagine. So I went to Montana. And while we were in Montana, we met uh, Franklin Bradley, who was the stage manager of the show at the time. 
And he told us a little bit about this show he had in Palm Springs that he was working at, but we didn't pay a whole lot of attention because there was girls and there was other things to do. And so, you know, we didn't really, we wrote him off a little bit. And come the end of August, we all went back to our regular lives. We went back to Missouri. I went back to St. Louis and started working again. And the guys went back down to college and everything was hunky-dory until I guess the first week of December. And I got a call from Franklin and he said, Hey, we'd really like you guys to come out here and work. We've got, you know, openings for technicians. We, I enjoyed what you guys did for us in Montana. So, you know, it'd be really cool if you came out here. And I, I, of course I went, okay, I'm, I'll take the job. And it wasn't that easy though. Because I had to, he said, well, you know, we'd like to fly you guys out here for a week, make sure that you like the show, like the town and that we like you. And I went, not a problem. I'm ready to start today. And he said, no, that's just not the way it works. You got to come out for a week. So, uh, I, I talked to, you know, several of the guys and said, who wants to go out? And because Franklin just gave me a blank check pretty much and said, you know, let's get together whoever you, we trust you, whoever you want to bring out here with you. And I offered it to several people. The only guy at the time that took me up on it was Dan Kemper. So Dan and I flew into Ontario, California and Franklin picked us up and drove us to Palm Springs. So that's at the time because things were different in 1994 at the time. That was really only about an hour drive. It actually takes you a little longer to get there now. Uh, traffic has gone ape. That's just the way it is. So <clears throat> at that time, it was uh, whatever day it was. It was only a one-show day for the, the Follies. And the show. by the time we got there, the show was over, of course, because Franklin was a stage manager. He couldn't just, you know, leave and come back, you know, and not be there for the show. Well, we got there, walked into the theater, and all the technicians were sitting in the theater. And there weren't a lot of technicians at this time. The show was still relatively small. But along with the technicians, the wardrobe uh, crew was there, and maybe some of the, the house crew, the ushers. I, I, don't, I don't recall exactly who was there. And, but Mr. Markowitz was dressing them down. And we sat uh, several rows behind everybody. And listen to Riff. Now, let me just stop here for just a second. I referred to Mr. Markowitz as Riff. And when I speak to you like this, I might say Riff. I can assure you that in my entire life, when I have been in his presence, I have never once referred to him as Riff. It's always either been Mr. Markowitz, sir, or boss. That's it. And that was just the respect he commanded. And I would, you know, speak to anyone that way, depending upon how they wanted me to speak to them. Miss, Ms. Jardine was Ms. Jardine for many years until, uh, you know, our working relationship changed. And, uh, I felt comfortable referring to her as Mary in her presence. So, it, it, and even to this day, I will still refer to her as Ms. Jardine, uh, more than Mary. Um, it just doesn't seem right to call her Mary. I don't feel, uh, you know, that doesn't just doesn't feel right to me. So anyway, he was dressing them down, and uh, there was a phrase he said that has stuck with me to this day that I'm not 100% sure I've ever heard him say before. 
And that was, if you people don't straighten up, I'm going to fire you, and I'm going to call in the pros from Dover. And that's a, 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 a turn of phrase about bringing, you know, uh, people in from another town or country or whatever to, you know, replace your job. And wow, we Dan Kimber and I looked at each other. We were like, what did we just get ourselves into? What have we walked into? Where are we? What is this business? So, uh, Mr. Markowitz was done. And afterward, after he was done and people left, uh, Franklin brought him over to introduce him to us. And my immediate response to him as we shook hands was, this is an amazing theater. And you have to remember at the time, though, the theater consisted of the curtain, which I believe was red, the oleo, which was the drop that had like um, the vaudevillian paintings on it, things like that. And I, I believe it was a movable staircase that could separate into two pieces or come together as one. At that time, you know, we didn't have a lot of the elaborate set pieces that became a hallmark in the later years. So it was actually a very simple theater, but it was beautiful. It was, you felt it was, uh, it was large, but it was also small enough that you felt like it was intimate. And I was, I hadn't even seen the show yet. I still had no idea what the show was, <laughs> but I fell in love with this theater and I fell in love with his charisma, his attitude. He didn't say a word to me or Dan. He shook our hands. He listened to what I had said and he shook his head and walked away. And I was dumbfounded. And when we talked to Mr. Markowitz, I'm going to ask him about that. I'm sure he doesn't remember it, but I remember it. <laughs> because it set the stage for the next however many years till, uh, till, till, till today. And so Dan and I spent our week there. They put us up in a nice hotel and fed us and all that stuff. And at the end of the week, we went into Dan Jardine's office and he offered us, you know, he said, here's what the offer is. You guys go back home and you think about it. Okay. So we flew back home. And at that point in time, my parents were retired. So they were vacationing uh, down in Texas, you know, they're snowbirds down in Texas. So it's come up on Christmas and my other friend, Dan Aker, he says, let's go to Minneapolis and visit my mom and my, my family for Christmas. I said, sure. Why not? So we drove up there and, uh, I guess it was probably Christmas Eve, get a call from, uh, Franklin and Dan Jardine and they offered, you know, myself the job. And I jumped at a chance. I said, yep, not a problem. So then Christmas Day, that evening, Dan Aker and I drove back to Missouri. And within, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was within a day, I was on a plane back to Ontario, California. Except this time, it was myself, it was Dan Kemper, and it was Patrick Rebman, another uh, gentleman we went to college with. Because when we were out there that week before... I had placed a phone call and I'll never forget this phone call because it was the first time I, it, there used to be a phone booth in the lobby and it was a wooden phone booth. It was um, as throwback as anything else was. 
the, the just the fact that it wasn't you know one of those old timey telephones is shocking that it was actually a real telephone. But I remember uh, about halfway through that week, I called back to Missouri to the guy to the rest of the guys, and I said, "Hey, you know, uh, this is pretty cool. They've got job openings for other people, and they've asked us to, you know, if we know other guys, to bring them back with us if we come back." And I had spoken to several of the guys, but at the time, Patrick was the only one that took us up on the offer. So we flew back. Um, it, it was probably two days after Christmas. And we flew back to Ontario. Here is something that really set the stage for me with the Follies and the people there. By the time we got there, they had secured for us and I'm pretty sure John Finkler was instrumental in this, a condominium in Rancho Mirage that was three bedrooms, two baths, a large living area downstairs, a large uh, yard area, a pool, all of that. So that by the time we landed and were picked up again, and in fact, I, I'm pretty sure this time when we got landed in Ontario, they had sent a town car for us. Pretty sure about that. We went from Ontario Airport straight to our condominium. And all we had to do was put the lights and the cable TV and the telephone in our names. And we were off and running. And that was an amazing and incredible thing that, at least for the times that I was there at the Follies, uh, they did for almost everybody. Because there was a lot of people that came from out of town to work at the Follies. And a lot of times they were people that the Follies reached out to that um, wanted them to work there. So the Follies provided for them and they provided for them in some amazing ways. And I, I, I can't wait to tell you some of the, the amazing things that happened to me um, that Ms. Jardine and uh, Dan Jardine and, and Mr. Markowitz and others provided for myself while I was there throughout the, the years and that I saw them do for other people as well. So that brings us to our first week at the Follies. Uh, and there's, there's some amazing, the, the, that first week of the Follies um, has some incredible stories in it just in itself. Some that almost made the three of us think that we were not going to be working there a second week. <laughs> But we learned some lessons that first week that stuck with us for the rest of our lives and for the rest of our time that we were at the Follies. So uh, it was a great learning experience. And that's what I hope this is for anyone that's listening that didn't get a chance to work at the Follies. Or if you did work at the Follies, you'll get a chance to hear some of these old stories that maybe you can recall when you were there or maybe you weren't there and you say, oh, wow, that that's interesting. I didn't know how that happened. Um uh, because, you know, we arrived in that, that first year, uh, 1994, it was their fourth year, our first year. And it was just the beginning. It really was. I wish I could have been there the first three years. There was a, one or two of the guys that were. And we'll talk to those fellows as well and get their perspective. I don't know how long this podcast is going to go on, but it could go on for years. And it's kind of important to me that our memories of that amazing show and that amazing time and that amazing city get told 
and get remembered. And quite frankly, I could, I could tell you about almost every day that I was at the Follies. I have that vivid of memories there. It's uh, struck in my mind that much. And to this day, I mean, I left in 2002, uh, went back several years throughout the, the rest of the years, though, just for a few days at a time to do some work for Mr. Markowitz. But I can tell you to this day, I will wake up in uh, a, a Follies fever dream. <laughs> uh, we, we worked a lot of long hours some of those years, and there would be times because that's all you were consumed by. You'd wake up, you'd wake up in the middle of the night and be like, oh my God, what a, it, it, it'd feel like a nightmare, you know, because it, it'd be one of those uh, dreams, you know, where everybody's naked or what you're naked and everybody else close, whatever it's, you know, that kind of a dream you wake up and got, gosh, that's, that's frightening, you know, and a lot of mine involved screwing up and, um, Mr. Markowitz coming down on me. So, which happened in real life as well. Those are, I've got some incredible uh, stories about that, that really at the time, uh, might not have seemed like they were great stories, but now looking back on them, they shaped who I later became and have impacted my personal life and impacted my work life and helped me greatly. And I hope we get to hear some of that from you as well. I hope we get to hear a lot from the two principals of the show, uh, Ms. Jardine and uh, Mr. Markowitz, because I've got a lot of things and I, I would really love to just drop them in, uh, you know, as, as well as interview them for long periods of time, but just drop tidbits from them in as well. Hey, did you remember this? And, and get their, their perspective on things, how they saw things, and how the, uh, the show progressed for them as well throughout the years. Because I think it's really super important. This, I, I can't see anything like this show coming along for a long time. Uh, we certainly, in the near future, aren't going to see anything like this. And I don't believe truly in the general theatrical world you're going to find a show like this that was as successful for as long as it was i mean this little jewel box of a theater sitting in this tiny town which isn't so tiny any longer but it and then it was that brought busloads of people from all over the country it's just incredible and it grew 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 and it impacted so many people, from the people that worked there, to the people that performed there, to the people that came to see it. The impact was phenomenal on so many people. So that's it for now. That's just a tidbit, tidbit our trial balloon of floating here for episode one of I Worked at the Fabulous Follies. And I can't wait to talk to all you that worked at the Fabulous Follies and hear your stories, hear where you're at now, hear where you came from, and hear you, uh, uh, you know, I'd love to get one or two really unique experiences you had while you worked at the Follies. Or if there's something that happened after the Follies that was an impact because of the Follies. I want to hear about all those things. I think everybody else does too, because it's important that we preserve this theatrical heritage this entertainment heritage that we're not going to see again for a long, long time. Thanks for listening. I'm Steve, and I'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>